Let's take our Bibles today and turn to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. That son of mine that's the assistant pastor at University Baptist Church, John, uh, born on the 4th of July, 1990, a firecracker. We were told by doctors we couldn't have any children. After 12 and a half years of marriage, Amy came along. She's 37 years old now. Uh, uh, we didn't know we'd have any other children. And uh, so, but God knew. And four years later, had another child, and that's the son, John. And then didn't know we'd have any others. People kept saying, are you going to have any more children? We didn't know we'd have the first one. This is a God thing, and God opens and closes the womb. And after 20 years of marriage, just because God's got a sense of humor, he gave us a little boy who is now a CPA accountant and has five children, six years old and under, and they just had twins on March the 2nd, and they're coming to the house on Thursday night. <laughs> that son, John, uh, last, this last uh, NASCAR championship race in Phoenix, gave the invocation for that. He is an Air Force Reserve chaplain, and uh, he was at Luke Air Force Base in Phoenix, and they had contacted him about two or three weeks ahead of time and said, would you pray for the NASCAR championship race in Phoenix? And a great opportunity. He had to read a card that uh, Coy uh, Gibbs, um, Joe Gibbs' son, had died the night before. He was also involved in the racing team. And so uh, anyway... John had been with me. I've never been to a Sunday race in my life, won't be going to one. But uh, we, I pastored in Sherraw, South Carolina, where John was born. He was born in Bennettsville, but in Sherraw area. And uh, we were 19 miles from Rockingham, and we were 30 miles from Darlington, and 60 miles from Charlotte. And everybody over there knew all about NASCAR racing. And uh, one of the things, we've been to a few time trials on Saturday. But one thing we found out that there was a, a, a car that started the race. It's called a pace car. And the, the pace car comes out in front of the drivers as they're starting the race. That pace car helps them start off right. The pace car comes out again when the yellow flag comes out. And they, again, they're, they're out again uh, as some as a follower, and I looked at that and thought about that that pace car uh, attitude as I saw this verse that we're starting with in Philippians chapter three, beginning in verse seventeen. Paul says, "Brethren, be followers together of me." What a statement! What a statement! The apostle Paul, who called himself the chief of sinners would say to those people at Philippi, be a follower together of me. I've called this message a true follower. What, what does it take to be a true follower of the Lord Jesus? We're going to look at five verses today quickly about being a true follower. Last week we looked at Paul was using terms for the athlete running in a race. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And I told you about giving the gospel to a fellow that Stephen Pate, Josh Pate's brother, had met Alan Johnson. 
Alan Johnson won the gold medal in the 110 meter high hurdles in the Olympics in 1996 in Atlanta. And he, he came to a, a men's activity that we had and he heard the gospel and I asked him, I called him on the phone and said, Alan, uh, would you go with me to Fats to eat? And I gave him the gospel again. As far as I know, he's not been saved. He went to the Air Force Academy and helped coach track up there and he's now an assistant coach at NC State. But uh, when you watch on the YouTube, Alan Johnson running, that guy can scat, buddy. He can fly, and when he gets to the tape, he leans forward just like that to hit the tape like that. And that's exactly what Paul was using analogies. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And we looked at how that there were certain things you had to follow and certain things he had to give up, lay aside every weight we saw from Hebrews. And then there was a focus on the goal setting your eyes on the goal that he was running for, that of Christ-likeness, of being like Jesus, Romans 8, 29, that we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And so he was setting his sight on the goal. In this same passage, we will follow that same outline. There are things that we need to follow. There are things that we need to flee. And then there's a focus that we must have as well. The goal of Christ's likeness and helping others to grow in Jesus Christ of being a true follower of him. For life is not all about you and me. Life is not about my happiness or my pleasure. It's all about him. It's all about living for him. One of my favorite verses, we had to memorize it, I was saved through the ministry of the Navigators. I told you I don't endorse everything about the Navigator ministry, but 52 years ago, sitting in a dorm room, uh, studying civil engineering at Clemson. Someone came that night, shared the gospel with me, and I got saved uh, January uh, the 29th, 1971. And uh, they taught me about how to have a quiet time and how to study the Bible and how to memorize scripture, how to share the gospel with others. Uh, first, some of the first people I witnessed to were from Georgia Tech. We went down there that summer, uh, the first summer that I was saved, and uh, we were ministering to the rambling wreck of Georgia Tech, a lot of engineering students at Georgia Tech as well. But I was memorizing packets of, of scripture verses, and one of them was Luke 9, 23. If any man shall come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. I love the word daily. Take up his cross daily and follow me. One of the key phrases used in this New Testament for a believer in Jesus Christ is a follower. You know what followers do? They follow. If we're going to be a follower of Christ, we're going to follow, follow him. We must focus not on self, not on people, but on our God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll love him who first loved us and help others to love him too. Here he says, first of all, in verse 17, brethren, speaking to the Christians at Philippi, be followers together of me. Jesus had said, in Mark chapter 4 and verse 19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I have a son, as I said, named Matthew. That's the youngest, the trumpet player. And uh, he has a son, uh, six years old, that will be with on uh, Thursday. 
whose name is Levi, another name for, for Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 9, in verse 9, I use this verse often in praying. Uh, when you pray for your grandkids, you have scripture verses usually in mind as you pray for them. And this is one that I pray uh, for little Levi, the six-year-old. It says in Matthew 9, 9, as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew. He's a tax collector sitting at the receipt of customs. He saith unto him, follow me. And he arose, it says, and followed him. So here Paul is saying to these believers, I want you to follow me. But as I found over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, like the pace car that I use as a reference at the beginning of the message, Paul had said to these believers at the church at Corinth, said, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. So you follow me as I follow Jesus. You follow me as I follow Jesus. Like the pace car that's setting the pace, starting the race, setting us off on the right path. He speaks of following him in Galatians 4.19. We'll not look at that today. But he wanted these believers to be like Christ. And he was, going, he was saying, look, I want you to follow me as I follow Jesus. We're all imperfect. The Apostle Paul was imperfect. He said, be a follower of me. The word follower there, or follow, is the word for imitate. We, we get our English word mimic from that word. I want you to be a mimic, an imitator of me as I follow the Lord. We're all, somebody is following us all the time. I, I hope you know that already. Um, your children and your grandchildren are often following you. The story is told. Uh, my wife, Linda, is from uh, near Buffalo, New York. They're known in the wintertime for one word, Brother Capel, snow. Uh, and, and, and very deep snow up there, okay, in, uh, in Batavia, New York, outside of Buffalo. Um, a child was going out in the snow one day, uh, asked Dad, would you go before me? And uh, the, Dad was going to the mailbox. The snow was fairly deep. He had his boots on. He was walking to the mailbox. He looked behind him, and every time he stepped in the snow to make a step in the snow, he was looking behind him, and that young boy was stepping in those same tracks following him. There's somebody following you. Whether you've ever told anybody to follow you or not, there's somebody that's following you now. Here at uh, Thanksgiving time, I remember a story told about a lady. As we get ready to, we bought three turkeys this week. Uh, got one to fix on Thursday for 14 people. And then uh, son-in-law will fry that Thursday morning. Then another two turkeys to fix for 20 people on Saturday night at 6 o'clock. And so uh, I thought about this because you try to find, they're going to fry these turkeys, but when you tried to find a pan for it to fit in. Story is told of a young lady who had just gotten married, and she was going to prepare her first Thanksgiving meal. And so she, she uh, 
got to Turkey and, and somebody was watching her uh, prepare the turkey and she would cut the back half of the turkey off before she put it in the pan. And uh, somebody said, well, why don't you cut that turkey? I said, well, that's the way Grandma did it. And that's the way Mama did it. So they always cut the back of the, of the turkey off before they put it in the pan. And they said, do you realize that the only reason they did that is because they had a short pan? You've got a long pan. You, I mean, you've got plenty of room for that turkey to fit in there. But they, they just, she said, well, Mama and Daddy, Mama and Grandma did it, and that's the way I'm going to do it. Somebody's following you. Somebody's mimicking you and what you do. He says, follow me, the imperfect, grace-filled sinner who was the Apostle Paul, now saved by the very grace of God, calls himself the least of the apostles and the chief of sinners who said, follow me. I want you to be a, an imitator of me with his pride and his outburst of anger at rulers of his day. You follow me. Now, none of us are perfect to be followed. But as Paul was pursuing Christ's likeness, he wanted those believers who were following these Judaizers that we've been talking about in the book of uh, Philippians that were adding to the gospel saying, not only do you need to receive Jesus as Savior, but you need to keep uh, be circumcised as well. We need to obey the law and adding that on to salvation. He says, look, instead of following them, I want you to follow. You follow me. You and I today realize that as others are following, I thank the Lord for people that have been influences in my own life. Uh, preachers that have, have taken me under their wing and taught me things about uh, the ministry uh, long before when I was as a member of a church or a deacon in a church uh, leading singing, Josh, I, I don't know one note from another one. I I just sing by letter. I just open up and let her fly. I don't know one note from another one. I, don't, I didn't know anything about uh, moving my hands or anything like that to, to lead singing. But I asked the pastor one day, I said, you're doing everything, pastor, in a small church, meeting in a house. And uh, we joined, there's 25 people. And I said, pastor, is there any way I could help you? He said, you could, could you lead the music? I said, uh, 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 uh. I, I guess I could, I guess I could. And I, I don't know when I was waving my hands, nobody out there knew what you were doing anyhow. They, that didn't have anything to do with whether they sang or didn't sing. But uh, I mean, that, like that fellow one time that was leading singing and he's, he was singing, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. And I, 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 be careful where you put your hands when you're singing songs like that. But I said, uh, preacher, if you'll teach me. And the pastor took me one day and he said, Brother, there was an old handmade pulpit that we use in that house. And he said, just, just stand behind here. And he said, uh, pick out songs that you know. And this was another thing. Because the pianist, and uh, we were in Nova Scotia preaching. Jeff Reason, Dr. Jeff Reason, uh, had invited us to come up. And we helped do some cleaning on the camp as they were getting ready to start uh, Forest Land Bible Camp for that summer. And he said, I want you to preach a Sunday morning message at one church and a Sunday evening message at another church. There's no pastor there. 
and uh, I won't be able to be there. I'm doing staff training. So uh, we went up for Jeff Reason. And I'll never forget going and looking on the piano. And I, I think her name was Lucille. It was some, something like that was her, her first name. And there was a piece of paper on the piano that said, Songs Lucille Can Play. And so you had to pick songs that Lucille could play. And uh, that was the only ones we were going to be able to sing. And uh, so that was kind of like the pianist we had in that church. I had to pick. We sang a lot of the songs, the same songs over and over again because there was only a few songs that she knew. But I said, yes, I'll be, I'll be glad. But preacher, I'll only do it if you show me. And he took some time, talked about how to do four-four time and three-four time and kind of like bouncing a basketball and, and, and how to lead singing. And I've been doing it for years. Still don't know a note of music. But I was following somebody that taught me. And I'm very thankful for that pastor from Indiana that showed me. Then he says, not only does he say, follow me in Philippians chapter 3, but notice with me also what else he says in that same passage. He says, follow me, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example or an example. So he says, I want you to mark certain people. That word mark is used in a sense to observe, uh, but he also says in another place that there are certain people I want you to beware of. And so I wrote it as flee. There are certain, certain things you need to follow and certain things you need to flee. But when he uses the end of verse 17, he says, walk as you have us for an example. That word example is the word pattern sometimes used of, of stamping on metal. It was used sometimes to make coins. But also it could be a, a, a pattern like a piece of cloth. My mother-in-law could take a piece of cloth. There's excellent seamstresses in this church I've met. There are, she could take, a, if it had a pattern to make a dress or something like that, she sewed her husband's suits and uh, all kinds of things. She could take, and if it said you needed three yards if she could only find two and a half yards, she could somehow turn that two and a half yards on that table and she could make it work. But she followed a pattern. That's something that you can take and, and cut it out around. And I think of that as he says, he uses that same word here as you have us for an example or the word is literally a pattern. Again, a uh, Chief of sinners, least of the apostles, not perfect, but he says, I want you to follow me as I pursue Jesus Christ. There in verse 18, he says, For many walk of whom I have told you often, and I'll tell you weeping. This is a book about joy and rejoicing, but the apostle Paul says, I'm weeping. He's weeping because he did not want them to follow the Judaizers, those that were teaching false doctrine. He was weeping because he wanted them to follow Jesus Christ and be more like Jesus Christ, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, even weeping, 
that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Those that are adding to the gospel are the enemies of the cross of Christ, no matter how sincere they may be. We have false teachers today that are teaching things contrary to the word of God, that are enemies actually of the cross of Christ. And some of them have crept into churches around this country who are still teaching things that are not the truth, do not help us to follow Jesus Christ. He says, I want you to mark them. I want you to mark them. I want you to be discerningly observant, watchfully observant in a discerning way about these that are teaching false doctrine. But he also wants him to mark those that are following. Those that are following in the right direction, I want you to mark them. I hope you have some people. I, I, this morning, I, several people text me. I will thank the Lord for them tonight. Uh, Dale Cunningham, he's a pastor in Johnson City, Tennessee, one of my best friends in the ministry. He texted me words from the scriptures this morning. He's praying for us. Pastor Gary Bill, that's down, he pastored the church. Jerry Savinsky started in a little town called Star, South Carolina, below Anderson. He now pastors in Hartwell, Georgia, over there. But Gary has been one of my closest friends for years. We had him to, he's from Georgia. He's a Georgia fan, and we forgive him. Uh, he went to the University of Georgia. I'm a Clemson graduate, and but we have been some of the closest friends. He, I just went to his 70th birthday party. Gary texted me uh, today. Uh, we had him to come and pray at our wedding 10 years ago. Linda and I got married 10 years ago at Harvest Baptist Church. Gary Bill and Marsh Fant uh, participated, and uh, Gary Bill prayed. Now, he's a southern boy, uh, and her family is from New York. We thought we were going to have to have an interpreter for the prayer. But can I tell you something? He texted me today and he said, Brother, I just want you to know today I'm praying for you and Linda as you minister for the Lord. He, he, was, he, he has been an example to us. He's been an encourager. He's been with me in some very difficult times when the storms uh, were raging in ministry uh, in Texas or uh, Irmo or wherever it was. Sometimes he would show up just at the right time and say, Brother, and when my wife was sick with cancer, he... Uh, I tell people, I'm, my name's Ledbetter, and I'm not kin to Adele, Odell, Marcel, Nugene, or Clovis. None of them Ledbetter's from Jerry Clower, but he called me Marcel, and he'd call me on the phone with a, with a cell phone. He's riding a motorcycle down the Interstate 26, and he's riding on there talking to me, Marcel, this is Clovis. I'm coming down there to be with you, and your wife's dying. You know what he did? He said, I just want to come give you a hug. He said, could I read some scripture? to pray with you he showed me how to minister to other people he's been an example to me he's been a, he's one of those people i've marked dr bruce McAllister texted me this morning and marsh fan and and uh, some of these uh, gary bill texted me this morning just they do it all, on sunday morning just to let us know that they're praying for us and i thought about people i need to mark I need to mark some of those false teachers that I'm going to avoid, but there's some men of God that I need to mark and be observant of that are helping me in the ministry as well. He said, for those many walk of whom I've told you often, tell you even weeping that they're the enemies of Christ, whose end is destruction. There's a word often translated perdition in King James Bible. It's talking about eternal judgment. 
whose God is their belly. They're, they're pursuing their own, their own desires and whose glory is in their shame. They're doing things uh, that they would not mention but glory and gloating about what they're doing. Who mind earthly things, the things of this world. We saw earlier in the first message I preached on Philippians let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This same attitude, our, we're, we ought to set our affections on things above and not on things of the earth. But these, he said, are following, they're minding earthly or worldly things. Verse 20, for our conversation or our citizenship, it's a word from which we get the English word politics from, for our conversation or our, our citizenship is in heaven. From whence also you look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So not only are there certain things that we need to follow and certain things we need to flee, but our focus must be on heaven. The fact that Jesus is coming back one day. I, uh, I love to sing about heaven. I love to sing with you about heaven. And I, I took a homiletics class with Josh and I went to supper together last night. He's, he preached in a homiletics class at Ambassador. And I told him Dr. Richard Rupp had taught me a homiletics uh, back 50 years ago almost. And uh, I'd ask him if, if, if we could sing while we're preaching. I said, Lester Roloff does it. And he looked at me and he said, brother, when you get as old as Lester Roloff, you can sing in a message too. Guess what? I'm, I went to Lester Roloff's funeral service. They called it his graduation. 3,600 people in Corpus Christi, Texas in 1982. I'm older than Lester Roloff. <laughs> this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up. Somewhere beyond the blue, the angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, oh, Lord, what would I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. D.L. Moody used to say, we need to be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. I have, I, I'm heavenly minded and I want to be focused on heaven. I want to live with, as Al Smith wrote a song called With Eternity's Values in View, I want to live with eternity's values in view, but I tell you what, the temptation is for us to live too much for this world than for the next. But he says, I want you to realize your citizenship is in heaven. You already, as a believer in Jesus Christ, having trusted him, your citizenship is in heaven. I text Josh Smith, uh, Josh Pate, rather, that verse the other day. He sent me some cards of him and, and Katie getting uh, their cards to be in, in the Ivory Coast. And I said, aren't you glad our citizenship, our, our citizenship is not down here. It's not in the Ivory Coast. It's not dual citizenship. 
our citizenship is in heaven with him. Our citizenship and our focus, our focus should be upon him. And I'm glad today that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life when we trust Christ as Savior. Where is your citizenship today? Do you know Christ as your Savior? I didn't until I was 20 years old. Luke chapter 10 in your Bible. Look with me there. Luke chapter 10. I'm looking for Jesus to come back. I'm looking for the changed body that he's going to do one day. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us about in the moment, twinkling of an eye. We need to follow. We need to flee. We need to focus on heaven, on Christ coming again. But look at Luke 10, 20. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you. But notice the end of that verse. But rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. I rejoice today. The Savior who redeemed me, who bought me back out of the slave market of sin, who has rescued me from my sin when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior 52 years ago. Do you know for sure where you'll spend eternity? Are you a true follower? It'll determine by who we focus on, the things we flee, and it will be determined by our focus. We're looking up. Our citizenship is in heaven. Let's bow for prayer.